Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Anand Tamboli about distributed leadership and developing an experimentation culture. Anand Tamboli, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. My pleasure, John. Nice to meet you. Yes, nice to meet you too, and I'm excited to have the chance to talk with you. Uh, you hail from Sydney, Australia, so there's a bit of a time difference from uh, where I'm at here in Utah in the United States. Um, I appreciate you uh, meeting with me and uh, having a chance to talk. I just want to briefly share with the listeners uh, a little bit about you. Anand Temboli is an entrepreneur, award-winning author, global speaker, futurist, and highly sought-after thought leader. He works with organizations that want to transform into a sustainable brand with creative and innovative employees. Anand specializes in areas that intersect with technology and people. He is creative, innovative, entrepreneurial, and a transformation specialist and is well-known for bringing ideas and strategies to life. Being a polymath, he can often shed new light on topics that you think uh, is already done to death. Having worked with several Fortune 500 multinationals for the past two decades, he draws upon his cross-industry and multicultural experiences. What a fascinating background. Uh, again, welcome. And is there anything you'd like to add uh, before we jump on into the discussion today? Well, uh, thanks for this nice introduction, John. Uh, uh, recent work, in fact, uh, involves a lot around future of work or future of businesses. And given the current situation, current scenarios, I, I think that has become more important. So uh, I see my work drifting more on that side these days. More towards the future of work? Yes. Yeah. And I, I think it's always fun when, when someone is a self-proclaimed futurist um, I, I tell my wife and kids I want to be a futurist when I grow up um, because it's such an interesting um, concept. And of course, none of us have a crystal ball. We don't actually know the future, but that's not what being a futurist is all about. Um, how would you define that uh, You know, for the listeners? What does it mean to be a futurist in today's world? So uh, I think it, a lot of people carry it differently. Uh, in my view, futurist is basically if you can... Uh, think out of the box within the context and basically combine multiple scenarios together. Like for instance, where I typically talk about steeple scenarios, so societal, technological, political, economical, environmental, uh, and legal. And for any particular industry or business, if you can put those things together saying that, hey, what does it mean for your business? Uh, where can it go as a scenario? 
and how many scenarios are possible under the circumstances. That I think is one perspective. And then businesses or individuals choose that, okay, I don't like this scenario uh, or I would prefer this one over the other. Then how do I uh, do it in my favor? What can I do to basically move towards closer to the, the favorable one scenario? So futurist role essentially touches that aspect and then advises that, okay, this is what you might want to do to, to, to make that scenario favorable for you. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I, I do a bit of work, well, quite a bit of work in mapping the last 50 years of the nature of work. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I like to think of myself as a bit of a futurist based on historical trends and, and trajectories, right? We, again, we don't know the future, but we can see patterns and we can see the trends and how things have developed over time. And we can see the trajectory of where things are going. Um, of course, things like a global pandemic can happen and all of a sudden that um, shakes things up and nobody really saw that coming. Um, you know, people saw the possibility of it coming, but nobody, you know, thought when we started 2020 that we were going to be in the middle of a global pandemic. And so you, you still have to be agile and adaptive and you can't take anything, exactly. you can't take anything for granted. But as you look at the past to inform strategy for the future, I think that's what being a futurist is really about. And certainly um, we, we are, I, I feel like the pandemic is accelerating us towards the future of work that was already inevitable. It was coming uh, in the next five to 10 years, we were gonna see more and more automation. We were gonna see more and more uh, AI and, um, and machine learning driven technologies um, enhancing the workplace and displacing workers and creating new jobs. Uh, we, we were gonna see all of that happen, but I think some of that is already starting to happen simply because the pandemic happened and now mm. we're being forced to find new and creative and innovative ways to work virtually, um, we can't travel, and so we're, we're trying to connect with, with uh, consumers and partners, and we have to rethink supply chains, and all of these things are, are happening right now that we're kind of, our hand has been forced, that we, now we have to address these issues when it might have happened a little bit more gradually uh, in coming in, you know, the near future. Um, so that's kind of my general take on it. Uh, how does that strike you? Yeah, look, and I think uh, there's a bit of a uh, exaggeration. A lot of people say that, okay, pandemic has basically accelerated the whole transformation. Uh, I think it, it rather has skewed it. So uh, under the normal circumstances, you would have done certain things in a parallel or in serial manner, but now what has happened? Uh, a lot of people have gone digital in terms of working from home or meetings and a number of other things but then they haven't necessarily changed their working style. So meetings are still meetings. They still take awful amount of time. They, they, there's still multiple meetings. People still follow the same red tape or uh, organization structures. So I think it would have happened slightly differently if under the normal circumstances, but it just skewed it, which means there's a lot more work to do after I wouldn't say after the pandemic ends, but as you come out of it, you will have to kind of adjust this, this skew to make it proper and then move towards, uh, you know, proper uh, transformation from that angle. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and I think that's right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how organizations adapt, how they respond 
to the current situations, but also what will be coming forth uh, in the near future. Um, many opportunities to be sure, even amidst crisis and amidst um, the pandemic and kind of global socio-political strife uh, that's happening around most of the world right now. Um, let's talk about leadership a bit. I know that you, you have some distinctive thoughts on, on leadership and why maybe a new model might be necessary. I read your article on distributive leadership. Um, how is it different from other leadership frameworks? Maybe you can describe that for us a little bit and help us understand why that's necessary in today's world. Yeah, sure. So I think uh, we all have seen in the past uh, centralized leadership, that that was the beginning of it in terms of the Industrial Revolution and artifacts, where one entity or one person within your company would have all the uh, rights to authorities to take decisions. Over the period, we converted that into a departmental model or decentralized model where you could disseminate those uh, decision-making powers as well as execution powers to uh, different pockets within your company. But if you look at what is changing right now is number one interesting change that's happening in terms of uh, the kind of generations we see in organizations these days. So it's no more just the, the, the Gen Xs or baby boomers. So you've got baby boomers at the top of it, with Gen Xs, Y and Z as well, entering into the workforce. And fundamentally, these people have different circumstances in which they were born and brought up. Their, their thinking is different. Where I see that the, the expectation uh, from leaders is different. Uh, a lot of uh, millennials or Gen Zs think that they know what to do. You don't tell me, you don't micromanage me, you just guide me, <clears throat> right? As against, otherwise people would have thought that, okay, tell me what to do. And because of this interesting mix in, in the workforce, there needs to be a different model than what it was before. Apart from that, uh, and as we spoke earlier, uh, the, the environment is changing quite fast where the uncertainty is becoming a norm. It is a norm anyway, volatility and uh, complexity. Now that means you have to be a giant. But if you have this decentralized or connected network of a leadership that forms a bottleneck. So how do we break that bottleneck? And which is where I think we have to fundamentally change this idea of leadership just for the decision-making and all, and make it more guidance-oriented, but the decision-making powers could be distributed, and which is where the distributed leadership uh, model or idea came into existence. Yeah, and I really like the idea of distributed leadership, distributed power, uh, and more uh, open uh, and deliberate communication throughout organizations, more transparency, uh, not so much top-down um, dictates um, and decrees. Uh, I think we live in a disruptive time, uh, so dis disruptive technologies, disruptive uh, environments. We, we have to respond agilely to a lot of different things. and simply put you know leaders aren't capable of doing it all themselves e even if they could do it all themselves that's not the, the best uh, way forward to to help create buy-in for change to help uh, employees 
um, feel empowered to do their best work. It's just, it's, it's such an outdated model of leadership that the top down hierarchy um, kind of tight control model. And so this more distributed approach, I think really is what the world today needs. And we need to be much more adaptable and agile. Um, and we can only do that as we tap into the potential of all of our people, uh, their creativity and their in innovative tendencies, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it looked like we, we had this notion earlier and it was true that one person knows it all. Others just follow. Uh, it's not true anymore. So that's where I think the adaptations is even more crucial. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, good. I think Another aspect of, of some of your work that I find really interesting is around the idea of experimentation culture. Um, again, because we live in a interesting, unique time, um, the, the world is, is so complex. Uh, organizations are, are struggling to, to stay competitive in a globalized market. Um, you know, it, it's a challenging thing to run an organization. And we need to find ways to, to drive greater levels of productivity. And that can't just happen through putting our thumb on our employees and trying to get them to do more, right? We, we can't just expect people to work longer hours, to, um, to take fewer breaks, you know, to be more productive. We need to create our way and innovate our way into greater productivity. Um, and there are certain contexts, certain environments where leaders can inadvertently actually kind of erode away and, and remove the initiative and, and the tendency of employees to be risk-taking and to try to be innovative, whether they, you know, even if they, they're not intending to do that, um, leaders create those types of environments all the time. In contrast, we really need that kind of an experimentation culture. So how do you, when you're working with Fortune 500 multinational firms, how, how do you talk to leaders about creating that kind of an entrepreneurial environment, that, that risk-taking environment where you can fall forward, fail fast, 
learn from what you're doing, uh, and then leverage those learnings into new innovations. So uh, typically, there's a bit of a uh, you know uh, dichotomy here that uh, it, people understand that they need to be innovative, they need to kind of adapt this fail fast culture and uh, learn new things. At the same time, they are also risk averse. So it's a bit of a, a jam over here. People find themselves, and I often give uh, some of the examples that uh, in other a few companies where I worked with. Like for instance, uh, when I worked with LG Electronics, we, we had this culture of experimentation and innovation. And uh, given the size of the company, it divides a different model, right? And we had this cross-functional teams uh, on, on the call uh, where you would be given a, a new project and you will sit separately, you'll form an almost sort of a new department. So that would be new team, cross-functional team, and it would function uh, autonomously for next six months, do all the experimentation required. So even uh, any failure would be contained within that team, uh, within the budget and restrictions. And once it was successful, then they would replicate very, very fast across the, the organization. So in pockets, it was already uh, being tested and I saw that model uh, performing really well. So, so when it comes to the organization now to kind of replicate the same idea, I think uh, the, the biggest task I had to do is remove those inhibitions, uh, remove those uh, risk cover sentiments that, how, how do we address that risk? So, so you are satisfied, you are, you are uh, comfortable and at the same time how do we move towards being experimental at the same time that works well quite yeah I, th I think I think um, having those isolated teams that are given the charge to to be creative to push the envelope to and with the expectation that it very well may fail um, hmm. it's understood that that may happen but then being um, ready to replicate when successes happen to replicate quickly, that's so important. And actually, it's it's great um, to hear um, of your experience with LG Electronics. I got my start in the world of organizational development and change, working in the corporate OD office at uh, LG Electronics in Gumi, South Korea, many many years okay. ago. So it's a great company, uh, great great organization. Um, good. Let's let's talk a little bit more about that. Let's talk um, a little bit more about experimentation what what do you see organizations doing where they 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 in a, may inadvertently um squash uh the the tendency for people to innovate so uh, for any innovation per se i think the three things that are quite important is the first thing is uh, being curious uh, second is courageous and third is perseverance so the first part itself, a lot of organizations try to squash uh, inadvertently again, because curiosity usually goes against the norms. So one is you follow the norms, this is being told, this is how we did things, so you do that. Other is you question that. You start questioning, why are we doing this? What, what does uh, this serve? Why is it important? How can we do things differently? The moment you start asking questions, 
which is uh, which shows your curiosity we start to say no 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 don't ask this question just do as we say or this is how we have been doing but then as we move towards answering those questions and kind of join these people and say that okay yeah let's think about why we have been doing this way or even is it relevant now that's where you you may have an epiphany or you may just discover that okay this is no more relevant we might have to change it or we might have to tweak it now this may be well a good finding but it again needs a next step so if you find something useful if you find something that is worth changing would you do that would you change it that takes courage uh, again the ability to fail and recover and learn from it so this is where the distributed model helps but assuming that now have that courage the company has the courage to take those steps invest a little bit uh, considering that it, it all may go waste or fail you take that courage you move forward and believe in teams uh, on their uh, on their skill set and knowledge to do their best rather than micromanaging something good mostly comes out it's it's rare that everything fails you always learn something out of it and once you do that if you have a perseverance rather than okay show me a quick result rather than giving a due course uh, due time then you will see some result you, you you may want to go from a to b but you don't end up at b you end up at b dash or maybe c who knows like c may be better than b but uh, you wouldn't know it unless you start that journey so feeding curiosity with courage and courage to the perseverance and once we have these three things the innovation becomes uh, really bearable and realistic uh, com combine that with experimentation culture and you know this environment because eventually environment that leaders create will dictate the performance yes absolutely the 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 culture uh, and the environment is absolutely key. We can't micromanage. We can't um, dictate everything that needs to occur. And you mentioned earlier, Gen Z and millennial workers, they want to be in that environment where they can be empowered, to be creative, to innovate, um, and get get coached and mentored along the way, get, get regular feedback, um, but where they're not being told every little thing to do. Uh, and they're not really interested in doing something just because that's the way it's already been always been done um if if they have an idea and it seems to make sense they want to be able to run with it they want to try try it out and i think um that in part that's that that's what an experimentation culture is all about is creating that environment where people feel safe they feel empowered um, where they there are many opportunities to collaborate where people can um, share ideas and and ha have things connect in ways that maybe they hadn't previously considered. That's where the greatest innovations come, um, not when we're siloed into our own little areas of expertise, but when we have the opportunity to, to have ideas bounce off of, of various um, types of uh, contexts. So I, I think it's so vital and, and we see so many organizations who, who do they want innovation, they want, they want creativity, but then they have policies, practices, and procedures within the organization. They have the red tape that's 
in place that that either discourages it or almost makes it completely impossible. Uh, and so we have to find a new way. We have to find a way for really, I mean, and I, I get it, it's hard, especially when you have a really large multinational firm, it's really hard to, to be agile, to be adaptive, um, but we have to find a way to do that uh, because otherwise we're going to squash this experimentation culture and we'll lose our best people, those people who are driven by the opportunity to innovate. Yeah, and you would have seen that lots of uh, millennials or uh, even Gen Z, the, the average uh, employment span within a company is way different than uh, other people. And primarily because of this, that they quickly sense that it is not working for them and then they basically change for something else. And they keep changing until they find something useful. Uh, fortunately, pandemic has kind of forced uh, these large organizations to uh, think in a different terms. Uh, earlier, I have seen that la large organizations usually are very, very risk averse. So that that factor almost overshadows the experimentation or innovation part. But if you look at from a cost and benefit analysis perspective, the, the cost is too high to take any action. Here, as you said, the pandemic has forced the hand, so they had to do it. They had to kind of let people decide for themselves when they want to work, how they want to deal with situations without having a formal leadership or see them all the time. Uh, so this experiment was kind of forced upon, and a lot of people have learned from it that, okay, yeah, it works. Right, if, if, and if they kind of put in their best efforts, it will even work better. I think this is where uh, we have to see from that perspective. Excellent. Uh, it, it has been a real pleasure talking with you today. Um, before we wrap up and close uh, this episode, I do want to give you a chance to share with the listeners how they can connect with you and learn more about you and the work that you're doing and the services that you offer. Would you mind sharing that with us? My pleasure. Uh, well, look, uh, I'm quite active on LinkedIn, so please feel free to share, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn uh, or connect with me on my website. I, I frequently write for publications. I frequently write on my website as well. Lots of my books are available for free to download or pretty much uh, cheap or coffee, coffee cost, I would say. So do, uh, do download them, have a look at them. And when you look at all these uh, materials, you, when you look at all these uh, thought processes, you will see that uh, if, if it resonates with you, feel free to talk to me and see how we can work together. Wonderful. Well, I encourage my listeners uh, to learn more about you, reach out, um, ha have a good discussion. Um, I think in, in this world, this environment that we're in right now, we need more opportunities to connect, um, to, to think about things in new ways. I love the distributed leadership approach. I love the, uh, the experimentation culture aspects that we talked about. I think those are so vital. In organizations um, so I hope my listeners will will take the opportunity to connect with you and learn more from what you're doing um, thank you so much for for 
chatting with me today and uh, I, I hope you stay healthy and safe in Australia and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.